Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. It's um, it's going to be an interesting one, RJ. You know, it, it might not be filled with the most positive of things, but you know, Kraken just finished that four-game road trip. They only pick up one point on that road trip, and a lot of people are asking some pretty tough questions about the Seattle Kraken, where they're at. Is it time to hit the panic button, RJ? All that kind of stuff. So we're going to get into that. We've got all the questions people have been asking us post-game, uh, some questions we've been asking each other away from everything. So we'll, we'll get into all that on the deep dive. Uh, going to start off with a, you know a fair amount of news and notes for this week. Some interesting stuff came out, including just moments before we clicked record on this, which is going to be fascinating to get to. But first, as always, RJ, got to start off thanking our sponsor, or Queen Anne Beer Hall for, for being there for us, keeping us fueled up with pretzels. And that includes the entire ECH team, RJ, as Afra, as everybody knows, she's always sitting under my desk as we record these things. And I think she was hearing me, you know, talk about and hype up the pretzel a little bit too much, RJ, because look, look at which toy she's been chewing to chew on here uh, this this last week or so, RJ. She's got her little pretzel there. Oh, that's so cute. Look at that. Good to know they're they're taking care of even the uh, the of the most uh, most popular member of ECH. I think it's safe to say. Probably safe to say that. So uh, just a reminder, everybody, you can you can get the pretzels, uh, those awesome, sweet, big, giant German pretzels over at Queen Anne Beer Hall. And we're what less than two weeks away from the opening of the second location, right? That's right. Yeah, no, I mean, less than, uh, yeah, less than two weeks away. It's opening um, December 13th. Uh, everyone get in there, check it out at Moss, Moss Bay, Bay Hall. Hall yeah. Exciting stuff. Yeah, good stuff. I can't wait to get up there and try one of those Detroit-style pizzas. As we talked about last mm -hmm. week, I won't get into all that again. I know you've been thinking again. about it all week. I know, I know. I won't get into all that again. We'll, we'll get going with the news and notes here, RJ. Uh, first first bit of news and notes is that we have our Patreon schedule for the month of December coming out. Um, things are slightly condensed on this one, RJ, just because we've got the holidays uh, and then, of course, uh, more travel for both of us. Uh, you around the holidays, me coming up for the Winter Classic and then the Winter classic stuff and then the kraken had a big long homestand too so that also limits what we were able to do but why don't you fill in everybody with the patreon schedule right so the patreon schedule for december is out right now and it'll start with the ech live commentary uh that'll be for the kraken's game against the dallas stars uh that'll be december 18th 5 p.m start time there uh then the armchair gm stream the very next night december 19th at 7 p.m uh and then just a couple days after that dylan your prospect chat uh will be december 21st also at 7 p.m and then of course as usual we've got the red glare podcast out every Every single week. Yep, really excited for for this month. Want to thank all the patrons. Uh, the growth that we've had this year there has been really really awesome to see, and it seems like everybody's been enjoying it. So uh, thanks to all of them. Next bit of and news. Oh, you can you can give it a try though. Seven day free trial still available on yeah. Patreon. You can try it before you commit. So uh, no reason yeah. not to sign up and uh, see what we're all about. I was gonna say good seven day trial too. If you time it right, you could get just about everything in there. Based on yeah, that. that's true. Yeah. You could get a podcast, you could get the live commentary, armchair GM stream, and prospect chat. Just time it right there before the uh, the live commentary game. Yeah, so uh, definitely recommend people try that out. Um, moving on with the news and notes, RJ, some some injury stuff we got to talk about. One Kraken got hurt on the road trip. Another one looks like they're uh, getting ready to, to make a comeback, but we'll start with Jaden Schwartz, who uh, left 
earlier on in the road trip, RJ, and um, what's the latest with him? Right, so the team did release an update on Jaden Schwartz, and unfortunately, it's not good. Uh, he will be out about six weeks with an upper body injury, and it's a little confusing because we can't really pinpoint the play where it happened. Uh, right before he went off the ice on his final shift, he kind of took a puck off the foot. Uh, didn't seem like it was going that hard or anything, though. Looks like that isn't what caused the injury. I guess maybe it was some hit in the previous shift or earlier in the game, but it is an upper body injury for Jaden Schwartz. And yeah, I mean, that six-week timeline probably puts him coming back, you know, at some point in mid-January. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It means going to miss the Winter Classic, which is just brutal for, for anybody to have an injury cause you to miss out on that opportunity, uh, you have to imagine. Um, and then, you know, the power play sure kind of suffered without him too, RJ. He's been the Kraken's leading scorer on the power play. What he does net front, it's, it's really hard to replace. And, you know, the Kraken were able to get a couple of power play goals the rest of that road trip. But losing him, you know, in that Chicago game really, really left left a, a Jaden Schwartz-sized hole in front of the net. <laughs> that is true. Nobody else on the team uh, does what he does in that area of the ice. That's for sure. Now, on the flip side, RJ, Andre Burakovsky, we talked about him last time. I kind of gave an update from when I was up there. He had been back out on the ice practicing with the team, but in a red no-contact jersey. Sounds like that's no longer the case, RJ, but in a good way. That's right. Yeah, a little bit more progression on the Andre Burakovsky front. So he did go with the team on their East Coast road trip, and he actually did shed the no-contact jersey. He was practicing with the team and taking reps there. He was not taking line rushes yet, uh, but Haxtell called it a good progression in his recovery. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him return to the lineup fairly soon. Um, the Kraken initially gave a six- to eight-week timeline for Burakovsky's return. Uh, yesterday, I believe, was the start, like week six, so that was six weeks. So so now I think you're within that timeline where he could return. The Kraken are usually pretty darn good about providing accurate timelines for player injuries on when it's longer term like that. So I think we're going to see him start to ramp up and hopefully get into the lineup pretty soon. Yeah, no, I'm really excited for that. Again, hey, maybe he helps out on the power play here, or at least helps out with the Kraken scoring woes, which we'll get into later on. Uh, the next bit of news I'll talk about here, uh, Canada released their, their World Junior um, championship camp invite list and there were three Kraken prospects on that list RJ it's a very prestigious list to be a part of Ty Nelson Jagger Ferguson, and Carson Rykoff are all on that list um, I don't know that all of them will end up making the roster RJ but it's still encouraging to see so many of the of the Kraken prospects on there I know there's going to be other Kraken prospects on other countries list that's going to be um, fun to see and just you know it's just another reminder RJ we're in December World Juniors are coming. Oh my gosh, it's the best. It's still, I think, my favorite hockey thing in the calendar every year. Yeah, it is the best hockey tournament there is. Like, it's awesome. If you haven't watched the World Juniors, if if you have the chance to watch it, even if you've watched it all in the past, definitely watch the World Juniors this year. Every year, it's so fun. Great short international tournament. Bunch of young players that are all trying to do well for their country. Um, and you might see some Kraken prospects involved as well. Yes, I, I think we will this year for sure. Um, the next bit of news was something that happened right before we were, I mean, we were just sitting here talking about things about what 
how we were going to order everything on the podcast. And then this this Seattle Times article dropped RJ um, from our, our colleague, Jeff Baker. So shout out there. Uh, and it's uh, titled to grow fan base. Kraken should ditch root sports and show TV games for free. Now, there's a lot of stuff to get into in this article that we're not going to have time for this one because we need to get to all those bigger questions around the Kraken after um, this road trip that they just had. But there was a couple things that felt like they needed to be mentioned here, um, RJ. And that's, you know, the first thing being this all kind of goes back to how Root Sports earlier this year, Xfinity slash I believe Comcast is part of that, you know, pretty big player in the cable world up there in the Pacific Northwest. And on the eve of the Krakens starting their season, RJ, Xfinity decided to move Root Sports to a higher cost tier, a, a premium package of theirs, and not have it be part of the basic cable package. And it put it behind an $18.50 um, you know, per month kind of paywall. And that is something that, you know, upset a lot of Kraken fans. Uh, it upset a lot of Mariners fans and probably some Trailblazers fans. Uh, and and it's it was a big deal at the time. It's something that a lot of people have ex expressed frustration at um, to you and I, RJ. And basically this article is talking about how it's, it's not a positive for the Kraken to have their games locked behind the paywall. And one of the most interesting things that Jeff points to in this article to kind of showcase that is the fact that in the month of October, RJ, Kraken games averaged just... 13,781 viewers, which is a shockingly low number, uh, if you ask me. I don't know about you. Right. It's Yeah, it's it's down from last year. And I mean, when you think about it, I mean, that's fewer people that are in the arena watching the home games. <laughs> I mean, I would not have guessed at all that it would be that low if you just asked me to guess, you know, how many people are, are watching the average game on TV. Uh, yes, it's it's very, very low. Uh, he goes on to talk about what some of the other teams are doing. This is something that you and I have talked about on the Red Glare podcast, our Patreon-exclusive podcast. I've been pushing for stuff like a direct-to-consumer option um, for sports teams. The Vegas Golden Knights went to that this year, and uh, Jeff mentions, his, mentions what they did. Also mentions that outside of their local area, Golden Knights games are free, RJ. If you're if you want to just watch hockey and you live somewhere outside of the Vegas area, you can just watch that just for free. And their numbers, guess what? Way up when people can watch a game for free, they will show up and they will watch a game. And you got to wonder how many people will slowly start to become Golden Knights fans all across the, the nation or all across both nations, RJ, if they can watch the games for free. And so it is an interesting conversation. Again, we're not going to get into all of it right now and here, but it does it does bear you know, talking about because that is something that as a new team to a market, RJ, as an expansion club, you want your games accessible. You want as many people to see them fall in love with the players, fall in love with the brand, fall in love with the team. And right now, when, you, when you're getting more people showing up to your games than watching them at home, which should be the cheaper and easier option, that's that might signal some problems that the Kraken are going to have to deal with in the future. Right. And as much as in future in this podcast, we're going to talk about the struggles on the ice. I mean, this is really, really important off the ice, uh, making sure that people can watch games, get access to games. That's that's been an area that Kraken, I think, really need to improve upon. It's really tough to get in the building because tickets are so expensive to watch a game in person. Yep. And then if people can't watch the game on TV, there's just no way that you're really going to grow a fan base as much as you possibly can. So it's something that is really important to keep track of, I think, to, to look at this situation and hopefully the crack and do what's best in their long term interest. 
Definitely, definitely. And then for the last bit of news here, RJ, I'll pass it back over to you because we finally got some Winter Classic details. Imagine that. I know it's the month of December. I mean, it's less than a month away. We actually did get a few details from the NHL. Still don't have the full schedule of all the events and everything that's going on yet. Still waiting on that. But we have something to talk about here with the Winter Classic. Um, so we'll start with this. Uh, the rink build at T-Mobile Park will start December 18th. So that is what less than two weeks away. Mm -hmm. uh, the the whole like mobile ice crew is going to go to T-Mobile Park and lay down the the foundation there for the ice rink and get everything started. Um, so we'll get some progress shots for that, uh, you know, from the league as it starts to develop. Also, there is going to be a two day fan festival called the NHL Fan Village that'll be December thirty first and January first. That'll be at the Lumen Field North parking lot. Uh, so the fan fest hours, which they do mention are subject to change because of the time of the Seahawks game and it could get flexed and everything. So December 31st, it'll start at the end of the Seahawks game and go until 8 p.m. And then on January 1st, it'll be open from 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. And then again from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. So kind of with the game, of course, being in between that. Um, so the fan fest uh, should be really fun. I mean, I I've always enjoyed whether it's like an all-star game or any kind of league event. Whenever the NHL has a big fan fest uh, come to an event like that, it's always a really fun time. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Um, and then finally, uh, the NHL announced that the Kraken and the Golden Knights will both practice at T-Mobile Park December 31st. So the day before the game, both teams are going to get a practice on that outdoor ice, get used to it, you know, get used to the rink and the, the arena and everything. Um, uh, sorry, the uh, the ballpark. Yeah. See maybe the sun coming in. You know, I don't know. Maybe the roof will be down. Maybe not. We'll see. It's been very rainy here in Seattle recently this past week. We'll see if that extends to January first. Hopefully not. Um, but yeah, both teams will have a practice there on the thirty first. Um, I haven't heard anything. We've got questions about whether that will be open to the public. I don't think it will be. Um, it's usually not, if I'm correct, Dylan, right? Yes, I mean, I yeah. can't remember in the past, those have been open to the public. So I don't think it will be, um, but they'll have the practice there. And I'm sure they'll have lots of coverage. Hopefully we'll be able to go cover that. Um, and so we'll be able to tell you everything that goes on there. Exactly. I'm just super pumped. I mean, this is, it's starting to feel real again, right? Like, you know, for a long time it was, hey, we knew it was coming, but until you start hearing, like, the rink is going to be built, here's the fan fest details, this is where it's going to be, these are the times of things, that's where it really starts sinking in, RJ, uh, and I'm just super, super pumped. I'm super pumped, too, because I've only ever got to experience the NHL, like, fan fest stuff at drafts, which, from what I hear, is maybe not always the biggest and best that the fan fest can be uh so i'm really like kind of looking forward to this one as, as kind of my like first real official nhl fan fest yeah, definitely. I, I think it's a little bit more subdued at the draft, you know, at the all-star games and stuff, they really go all out. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely be there. We will definitely be yes. checking it out. Uh, I'm sure we'll run into probably a lot of people listening to this. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll be there as well. And, and hopefully we see lots of people have a lot of fun and you can test your skills too at the other fan fest stuff. You know, they have like, you know, shooting accuracy and you got the slap shot, you know, see how fast you can do it. That's my favorite part personally. I was just going to say, we need to, we need to put out a thing, RJ, who can beat you in, in some of the skills competitions 
Oh yeah, maybe make something around that. That would be something we can think about. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for that. It got to meet so many awesome people. Um, when I was up there this last trip, can't wait to to run into everybody, say hi again, maybe meet even more people uh, around the fan fest. Should be a lot of fun, and we'll keep you uh, all apprised of what our you know schedule will be around that because we will also be covering um what's going on uh, in and around the ballpark as well. Um, that's, uh, that's going to do it for the news and notes, RJ. Now it's time for the deep dive. Got, I'm ready. Got it. Yeah, I know. I know. Get, get ready for it. Um, let's just start with the first question, RJ. Maybe it's the easiest question. Maybe it's not, but how much trouble are the Kraken in after a four game road trip in which you only pick up one point you, you played, you know, three of those teams are sitting outside of playoff spots. They were kind of beatable opponents and, you know, you just didn't look that good really on this road trip. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an important question to ask right now, just how much trouble are the Kraken in and, you know, they're in a fair amount of trouble. I mean, you, you look at the league standings and you go by points or points percentage. I mean, and you know, they're a bottom five team in the NHL, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not good. Um, you know, they've only got eight wins on the season. That's the third fewest in the league regulation wins. They're tied for the least in the league. Um, you know, just none of the indicators look good as far as the standings. It's, it's just the, uh, the loser points that are keeping them afloat. If you look at playoff odds, uh, money puck has them at about 30%, which is higher than I would have thought. And I feel like, okay, that's not so bad. Um, the athletic, a, a little less optimistic at 13%. Um, but you know, we, we are past that American Thanksgiving mark and, and, um, you know, the Kraken were in a playoff spot on Thanksgiving. They managed mm-hmm. to jump up there. Um, but still, it's it's not good to see them well out of a playoff spot at this point. And, you know, I, I think probably playoff odds wise, you're looking at somewhere in between the athletic and money puck where you're, you know, maybe in the 20 something percent. Um, and, you know, that is cause for alarm. I mean, the, the big question is like, you know, do you hit the panic button, Dylan? You know, where are you at as far as, you know, your panic meter here? I, I guess I am. Uh, I, I guess you, you do have to hit the panic meter as you come home for, you know, solid, like, what, just about two-week stretch here of home games. A very, very important homestand for the Kraken here. It's one of those, I think a lot of us were very hopeful going into the road trip uh, that they were going to be able to maybe figure some things out on that road trip, just given the way last year's team performed on the road. I mean, they were the ultimate road warriors. They could go into anybody's barn and, and pick up two points and just make it look easy, right? Drop eight goals like it was nothing, RJ. That's what they did last year. And so I think a lot of us were really kind of excited. Okay, this is going to be a chance for them to maybe figure things out on the road. That's how this group tends to work. Um, and then it just didn't, right? Things did not click for them. Uh, you had, you know, sometimes it did, right? Like this is the first time that they've been able to erase two goal deficits. They did that a couple times, um, but at, they just weren't able to pick up points. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what you need to do. So I'm at the point, RJ, where I think the panic button has been hit. And I think we're at the, we're also at the point, and we and I talked about this on post game last night, this homestand is incredibly important. Like this is your season. You need to be able to pick up a decent amount of these games because if you if you continue on this slide and you say only get like one win and maybe an overtime loss at the, during this homestand, you're you're going to be out of it. Like there, you can't come back from that uh, at that point in the season. So um, I, I think yeah, panic button has to be pressed here. Yep, I think we're we're both on the same page with that. And uh, you mentioned it a little bit on our last post game, but coming up is a homestand that it's going to define the season. 
You know, mm -hmm. we're at that point. If you can't turn it around after this homestand, you are in real deep trouble. Yeah, and so this is one where um, everybody, I know maybe it doesn't sound like the, 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 the best thing to do, but I do think this is going to be really important. I think you're going to see the Kraken play, um, I would hope, with a level of intensity that they maybe haven't shown this year just because they're going to understand how important it is. Um, this These might be some good games to go to, you know, just because I, I think the Kraken are really going to be there and I think they could really use the fan support. I, I know we've never really set, talked about that or said things like that in the past, RJ, but it is one where I do feel like this homestand is really, really important and, you know, anything any of us could do to try to help them out might be might be a good idea uh, for this one, RJ. Um, we, we talk about them knowing the situation, RJ. I, they, they understand what's going on. You know that they understand what's going on. I, I guess I'll just jump in and, and segue that into um, talking about Jared McCann and then the post game after the loss to Montreal, talking about things. Um, he said, you know, during the first intermission of that one, you know, when the Kraken found themselves down, a bunch of veterans spoke up in the dressing room after the first period and talk about Philip Grubauer. Without him, that game would have been 5 nothing. Uh, in Jared McCann's words, and he said, quote, our effort in the first period was pretty embarrassing, end quote, and that's been an issue for the Kraken. That's been something that's been talked about. Hackstall was talking about that before the road trip as being a point of emphasis. We saw um, that be a struggle for them in the Vancouver game, that last home game that they had before the road trip. This keeps happening to the team, RJ, and look, this road trip showed that they could turn it on. They erased a two-goal deficit in Chicago. They erased a two-goal deficit in Toronto. They were able to pick up two and only lose 3-2 to Montreal last night. What is it about this team, RJ, that just can't... The, the, the first period used to be their jam earlier in the season, and now it's just not at all. Uh, and they're they're able to turn it on. Like they, The veteran voices are able to speak up in the locker room. They're able to get the guys turned around. Um, it's just, it's happening after they've dug themselves, maybe too big a hole to come back from. Right. And it's become a consistent problem. And it's something that's really worrying because even against teams that are, that are non-playoff teams like Montreal, Ottawa, you, you can't put yourself behind by as much as the crack can do early in games. And McCann even alluded to that. He's like, we know that's a problem. Like it's, it's, you know, not like they don't know going into the game that they need to start better. I mean, even back when you were up here in that Vancouver game where they had a rough third period, but Hackstall pointed to the starts. We talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Like that's what he was concerned about yeah. was the team not starting well. And then they come out in Chicago and they don't start well. And, even this last game in Montreal, like a week later, they don't start well. It's a problem the team knows exists. Uh, you know, it, at a certain point, you just have to show up to play. And I don't know really why they're not. I mean, you know, we, we kind of know what the problem is. It's crystal clear to everybody. It's, you know, it's just kind of who to blame and like, and what do you do about it? I mean, you look at the, that, that Montreal game, like the start of it, I, I look at, you know, maybe the, the, uh, was the Tanner Pearson goal, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have Dumoulin right in front of the net. He's there in the spot he needs to be. He just doesn't tie up the man's stick. And I, I don't think it's even a lack of effort. It's just, you know, the presence of mind to know to do that. It's a focus thing. And for whatever reason, they just don't put that focus together until they're already behind in a game. I, I don't know. It, it feels almost like a sports psychology type of issue. And I'm certainly yeah. not an expert in that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't really have a solid solution for it. No. And you look at some of the other stuff, right? The first Sean Monaghan goal, right, comes off of a, a crack and turnover in their own zone. Again, you know, what what's really supposed to be happening there? Uh, they, they turn the puck over, and then also you don't have one of your defensemen 
like it's just kind of gone and will borgen he's not anywhere there uh, where he should maybe be so there there's definitely issues there rj and that kind of i guess brings up the next question is you know I, I I don't I'm not gonna phrase it the the way that you know the the easy way, but I'm just gonna say is this more of a a player or coaching problem? Because look, Hackstall's talked about it. It's never good when the coach singles out an area of emphasis, RJ, and then the team starts to get even worse in that area, right? Like that's a really bad sign. That's that's something that's that's really not good in any sport, right? That's that's worrying. Um, it feels like to me, RJ, kind of for, for a lot of this, Hackstall has known that this has been the issue. He's tried working on it. We've seen him try some different things. I'm starting to wonder if, yeah, and maybe Jared McCann, you know, talked about it a little bit in that quote, right? This sounds like the players just need to figure out a way to start games off, to have that mental focus, to have that effort level, um, because I, I don't know what else Hackstall can really do here. Yeah. And credit to McCann for taking accountability. I mean, I really do like yes. that about him is he, you know, he's not going to sugarcoat things. He'll tell you exactly how it is. Um, and he knows when the team's not playing as well as they need to. And, and he wants to be part of the solution to turn it around. I mean, you look at his goal was kind of what started uh, that comeback that ultimately fell short, but like credit to Jarrett McCann for pointing that stuff out. But I'm, I agree with you. I think it's mostly a player issue. And as a coach, like, think about it in Dave Haxtell's position, like in that Montreal game, like, you're not, you're not coaching Jamie Alexiak to go, you know, be careless with that puck and turn it over. I mean, this is something that's mm -hmm. like, you know, back to his youth hockey days, you know, he was told yeah. kind of not to do, you know, don't be careless with the puck in your own zone. Don't send it right up the middle, that kind of thing. And, you know, on the Dumoulin play, like tie up your man's stick. I guarantee you he's been told that since he was like five years old playing hockey. He knows it, right? Um, and as a coach, kind of what more can you do? At a certain point, the players have to go out there and just execute. Like those aren't systems problems. Like there, there's nothing in your system that leads to that Alexiak turnover. There's nothing in your system that leads to Dumoulin forgetting to, you know, take away the man stick. And I'm singling out those two plays because of the yeah, most but recent. like the you Maddie turnover, the, there's a lot of the them. entire road trip, you can pull out, you know, a bunch of these examples. I'm just using the two most recent ones. But as a coach, like, what can you do at that point? Like, these are not systems issues. It's just execution. And I, I guess you can make the argument that, like, you've got to make sure the team is more focused. Mm -hmm. But I think Hackstall, he's pressed, like, 90% of the buttons that you can press as a head coach. He's already yelled at the guys. He's already, you know, he's already read them the riot act, right? We were there. I was there for practice when that happened, you know? Um, he's pushed that button. He's he's given them extra days of rest. He's pushed that button. He's worked them really hard in practice and just been like, we're skating today, boys. He's done that. Um, I don't know what more you can do to try and get the guy's attention. And I know people have responded to us like, well, that's what it means when you've lost the room, guys. That's like the definition of it. But at a certain point, I still think it's it's on the players to go and execute. It is. And it, it feels different than like a normal time when a coach loses the room, right? Like mm -hmm. this, it, this doesn't feel like that kind of issue. Like the players say different things, right? Players aren't taking accountability the way Jared McCann took accountability if they're not still bought in to what the organization is doing, if they're not still bought in to what the coach is trying to do, if they're not still bought into the idea that they're a good team and they can go out there and win. Right. And that tells me that they haven't he hasn't lost the room. Right. They still very much believe in what they need to do. He's taking responsibility, saying we're not going out there and doing it. That's that to me is very different than, you know, oh, man, we're just we're trying everything and we just can't figure it out. 
right? That's what players say when they when a coach has lost the room, when they when they don't have faith in the system anymore. They don't talk about their effort level. They talk about we just can't find a way to get space for ourselves or something like that. And that's not at all what the players are saying. So I don't think that Hackstall's lost the room. I think it is something where the players just need to be looking at themselves and trying to figure out why is it that we can't string together a 60-minute performance, right? Because you know, even earlier in the year, they had this problem. It was just kind of in reverse where they were starting off games really strong, right? Their goal numbers by period in the first period were astronomically high. And then they were blowing leads in the third period. They were blowing leads in the second period, right? That was the problem that we were all focused on. And we were all going like, dang, this team, they just can't put together the 60-minute performance and they can't finish out the game. They can't close out a game. And now here we are just saying they can't start a game, right? They're, they're playing well late, but they just, they dig too big of a hole for themselves. So it's kind of a fascinating thing of just, it's it, it all kind of comes down to effort. And at the end of the day, if you're a professional athlete, you're paid to do this as your job. You're the only person who can control your effort level. You're the only person who can control how hard you're skating out there, how focused you are during a game to make sure that your passes aren't lazy, to make sure that you're skating into the zone, to make sure that you're going to your spot when your teammate might need you to be there, right? That's that's just stuff that that is on the players. Um, it's, it's a tough one. And yeah, uh, another thing you didn't mention, right? They had the team building exercise, right? They flew to Chicago a day early so they could have time as a team, right? To, to have that team building the day before the Chicago game. And it just, it didn't seem to help or work again. And that's another thing that an organization and a coaching staff can, can build in and kind of schedule for everybody. And it still just didn't seem to get them going. So it's one of those where, as as much as I'm also on the on the on the side of if if things don't turn around during this homestand, I think it's entirely possible that you see a coaching change. Right, I'm finally at that point where I could see a midseason coaching change involving Dave Hackstall. But on the other hand, I'm also just like I really don't think this is on him. Right, it may not be his fault, but you know it certainly is his problem. Um, and yeah, I think unfortunately we kind of have to have the the Dave Hackstall conversation as far as like you know what's the situation as far as his seat potentially warming up. Um, and we have both maintained right from the start of the season, Dylan, that yep. it was pretty much impossible. Things would have to get so bad for them to even consider moving on from him mid season. They just gave him an extension over the last off season. It's the last thing the team wants to do. And still, I think it's much more likely that he stays on the rest of the season and gets fired. But I think we have to start thinking about it. You know, like what does Hackstall need to do to keep his job at this point? And I think, it, yeah, this homestand, it kind of comes down to that. I maintain, I think he needs at least two wins on this homestand in order to keep his job by Christmas. And it sounds crazy, you know, like a month ago even to think that we'd be at this point. But here we are. I mean, you know, if he somehow, you know, if the Kraken somehow managed to go, you know, one win, five losses on this homestand. I mean, you cannot have less than 10 wins in your first 32 games. And especially with the failure being at home, if that is what happens, it's going to shine so much more of a spotlight on it too. I know that there are season ticket holders that are already disgruntled. Uh, this is already kind of a bad situation. I don't think they can afford a bad homestand here. If he gets two wins, you go like two, three, and one, or two, two, and two somehow, I think it's enough to kind of tide him over. But you have to have at least two wins on home ice. I uh, yeah I I think I'm there. Or do you think you. the line's different there, Dylan? Or do you think it's got he's got to get three or well, you know it, do you think he's still okay? I don't know. Yeah, it it becomes like it, it's tough because you're getting into like organizational philosophy 
areas of, of asking yeah. questions of how does i guess we're gonna see right the kraken have never been in a, this position before where they've ever had to ask this question where we've ever had to ask this question um and you and i i thought we're doing a good job of of not having to ask the question too like it, it just it, it's it's kind of wild to even be here i really didn't think we would be even just two weeks ago um but it is one of those where we're gonna find out i i think i'm with you i think the two wins thing it seems appropriate it seems right but it all comes down to the organization. Do they feel like, look, if this homestand goes bad and the season's just kind of over at that point, we'll just let Hackstall ride it out, right? We then, then what are we making a change for? The season's kind of lost. We're going to stick an interim coach in there and just kind of go from there. Like some organizations absolutely would do that. Some of them don't like to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. I. I don't know where I stand on that. I don't know that that would help the situation at all if you if you did make a change, uh, and this and the season's kind of over. I, I don't know, but we're we're gonna find a lot out about the Kraken, about how they what their philosophies are organizationally because they've just never been in this spot before. But yeah, I mean, there's there's some some tough games in here, RJ. There's some winnable games in here. I mean, you know, New Jersey struggled, RJ. Chicago, we know, struggled. Minnesota struggled. Kraken historically have played well against the Kings, but you've got the Lightning. They're a tough team. Florida's a tough team. And after watching them lose to Ottawa, Montreal, and Chicago on this latest road trip, RJ, I think one of the other questions just has to be, you know, are there are there just, you know, mark it on the calendar, that's a win for this team? Because I'm starting to think that maybe we're not at that point anymore. No, I don't think you can say that anymore. I mean, you would have pointed to certain games on this road trip. And and that's really one of their core issues as well, is they're not picking up points against teams that are non-playoff teams, that playoff teams usually pick up the two points against. Like, it's okay if you have a game against, say, Toronto, like the one they had on the road trip, right? Where mm-hmm. you don't start very hot, you, you give up a lead early, but then you claw your way back. And yeah, I mean, the shootout doesn't go your way. It's a crapshoot. We know how this is. It's a skills competition. Yep. But you, you end up settling for the one point and that's okay because you're against a really good Toronto Maple Leafs team. But you need to pick up the two points in the gimme games with yep. Ottawa, Montreal, Chicago. Otherwise, yeah, it's a big problem that you're not getting the two points against Toronto, that you're not getting the two points against Vancouver, you know, when you play them. Um, that's the first thing the Kraken have to really take care of is just winning those games where it shouldn't be that difficult. We saw it with Montreal, right? Yeah. They're not that good of a team. The Kraken, they woke up, they gave a 30 minute effort. Like it wasn't the 60 minute effort we all want and that they need, but it was a 30 minute effort. And you know what? It was almost good enough to win the hockey game. Yeah. Like a 40 minute effort probably would have gotten it done. Like against teams like that, you don't always have to give the full 60. Um, And if you're not giving enough to even get it done against those teams, it's a real problem. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And I think that Montreal game, in some ways, them doing that makes it almost worse right because you you see right they keep giving us just these little tastes of how good this team can be it's just they're not consistent enough with it to to be good to to be you know we knew last year that was a lofty mark to try to get back to a lot of things they were gonna have to do a lot of work to kind of make up for the high shooting percentage but we had talked and, and pointed stuff out at the beginning of the season of how they could get there and do that um and and here they're just they're just not and and that's it's been frustrating to, to see um, before we kind of leave the hackstall side of things, RJ, you know, one of the one of the potential solutions here. I mean, th- there's a couple that we've talked about already. Like, what do you do practice wise? Do you change something system wise? I guess we could go over those like practice wise. Do you go with a bag skate or do you take that as an opportunity to say, 
work on a system solution where, you know, last night we saw it a little bit in the Montreal game. You, you see it with Jared McCann's goal. There was a lot of player movement, totally confused the Canadians' defense. They get really conservative because they can't keep track of everything that's going on. Guy like Jared McCann's left with a ton of time and space. He's able to score as he will in any time he's given that much time and space. Do you, do you take tomorrow's time and practice, RJ? Do you just bag skate the guys, or do you take that time to, say, work on something new, try to bring more player movement in there, especially maybe on the power play, too, maybe open up some new looks there as you're missing Jaden Schwartz? What do you do? You know, I, I think I'd go with the latter, as tempting as it is to just say bag skate the guys, because I don't know what else is going to really get their attention. Like at a certain point, as we talked about, it falls on the players to execute. And that's one of those 10% of buttons that I, I met reference that Hackstall hasn't pushed yet. You know, whether it's like just having the whole team do a bag skate one day at practice, or whether it's like scratching a veteran, those are still some things he hasn't done. Uh, or, you know, even something as simple as changing the D pairs. Like that's probably the next you know, button that he can press, but I think they have too much to work on. I just, just systems wise, I think you have too much to work on. You've been on this long road trip. You don't have a whole lot of time to implement things systems wise. I know they had a couple practices in, but it's different when you're at home and you're able to get a longer skate on your own ice. Um, I would go with the latter. And also just because this schedule, man, like up to this point in the season, it's just been brutal. Yes. You're at home. You've got the homestand. You can feel, I guess, comfortable about that, you know, in a way, but you have six games in like, it's how many days, like, um, you know, nine days, nine days. What is it? Yeah. Six games in nine days at home on this homestand. Like that's more than every other day you're playing. If you bag skate the guys and then right before, you know, the start of this homestand, I could see that really backfiring just from a fatigue standpoint. You're going to need all the legs you can muster, given that you've got a game on Thursday, then back-to-backs through the weekend, and it just doesn't stop coming. Even after the homestand is over, you're still playing every other day until almost the Christmas break. Uh, I, I think you got to just take that time, work on systems, adding new things. I mean, what, what do you think, Dylan? No, I'm I'm there with you. I think and it's not even just offensive, right? Like the idea of going to that. I did like in the Montreal game, they're getting back to the idea of trying to generate high percentage chances in and around the net. They were attacking the slot more. So that was good to see. That's something they did the last time they were consistently winning. That was what they're they were doing. You also gotta work on defense, right? Jared McCann said it. They left kind of Grubauer out to dry. We've been t- talking about that. Like you know, Kraken have been allowing a lot of easy goals or they're allowing teams to really get a lot of work in either in and around the crease or with a lot of tic-tac-toe goals you look at that monahan power play goal that he had last night i mean just able to set up really nice low in a great shooter's position and they were able to freely move the puck to him right so there's a lot of stuff that i feel like a practice could be used on to work on defensively as well just defensive responsibility what are the passing lanes? How can we learn to recognize what the other team is trying to set up and disrupt that before it happens, right? Instead of reacting once it has happened and trying to scramble for rebounds or scramble to pick up the guy who got open in front of the net, how can we learn to anticipate and read what the other team is doing and try to get ahead of it or try to force them to play into what we want, right? Keep them to the outside, keep them to the perimeter, give them give them shooting lanes, but give them shooting lanes from the point where our goaltender can see it 
all of the way in. I think these are things that they could also be working on that that practice time is just too valuable to waste on something like just a bag skate. And, and it's something that they need to be working on. One of the other things, uh, potential solutions that was mentioned last night that we talked about, RJ, is the idea of healthy scratching somebody, sending a message through that. Now, you and I both kind of came to the conclusion of, so far, things have kind of been a team team group effort uh, in the lack of effort or the lack of execution. I don't know who you would realistically single out and if that would be fair to them specifically. Right. It's it's a group issue. Like, who do you scratch when the problem is really just about everybody? Um, I, I don't know who you pick out out of this lineup. And I know it certainly doesn't make you better on paper. Yeah. Um, you know, doing that. And it, it's tough, especially when you have like Schwartz and Burakovsky out with injuries and you're already grabbing guys from Coachella Valley, like Max McCormick and Marion Sudanich who are playing right now. Um, you know, it doesn't make your lineup any more skilled. Again, if there was one or two guys who just really were not producing, not putting in the effort, I, I out in principle, I don't disagree with it, right. but I don't know who you single out. Although maybe Hackstall has some names in mind. I don't know. Because one thing I thought was interesting was after the last game, after the Montreal game, I don't know if you saw his his presser afterwards, but he talked about wanting to make that distinction because I think the question had a premise of something like, you know, the team's just not giving a 60-minute effort. That's got to be frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, no, there are some guys who are absolutely giving a 60-minute effort. And he singled out the, the Gord line, Gord, Tolvin, and Bjorkstrand. Mm -hmm. He's like, those guys given a 60 minute effort, fantastic. The whole game, like every night, that's what they've been doing. He's like, you, what you can't have is when you go and just have like eight to 10 guys who show up that night and decide to give the full effort. And he mentioned there were others in addition to the Gord line, but you know, that leaves about 10 players who are not giving that full effort. And I, I bet you Hackstall knows, you know, he, he wouldn't tell yeah. us in the media, but I bet you he, you know, could tell you if he was being candid who those 10 guys are, you know, maybe there is one of those one or two that he feels, you know, kind of rise above the rest. Yeah. I I'm with you though. The, the injuries make it that much more complicated, unfortunately. Uh, and then we've got the last big one. And this is this is a bigger one. It's beyond just like, this isn't something Hackstall could do, is I guess what I'm trying to say. This would be an organizational play of, let's say things are, well, they are going bad right now, but let's say they start looking worse as the homestand gets underway, RJ. Just as we were talking about with Hackstall potentially being, you know, on the hot seat, do you, if you're the organization, do you make a trade or something before you would look at moving on from Hackstall, right? This is another question that we're going to find out uh, from the organization, what their philosophy is when it comes to this, just because, again, they've never been in this position before. Um, but do you, do you make a change to the group of players before you make a change at coach? And I think that's an interesting question that, like I said, we've never had to ask before, RJ. Right. And it's certainly something that some teams like believe in or swear by. As you mentioned, this is an organizational philosophy thing. And I know there are some people in, in management on NHL teams that believe that you owe your coach a trade before yep. you let them go, like that they deserve that at least. And certainly someone who was just a Jack Adams finalist last year, you know, I could see that being a way that the organization might think we don't have any indication of it, because as you mentioned, they've never been here before. So we're going to find that out. Personally, you know, if I was in management, I mean, that would probably be my philosophy is that you owe them at least one move, certainly if they've had the success that Hackstall mm -hmm. had last year before you move on from the coach. 
I know you never want to be kind of boxed in to having to make a trade, be like, okay, we're going to give our coach a trade. And the league kind of knows it as you're having those yes. trade talks. It's not a good situation to be in. No GM wants to be there leverage wise. Um, but I, I think you might start having those conversations with other teams, maybe try and get out ahead of it a little bit um, and see what you can do. But we have talked about it in the past. Like, what do you even do as far as a trade? It's so hard to bring in anything that's going to address these problems, right? I mean, you know, you just had like Zadorov moved relatively cheaply. You could bring in a blue liner, but really what this team needs is I think someone who can produce as a forward and just score goals, like a pure scorer. Mm -hmm. And those guys are so difficult to acquire, especially at this time of the season, well before the deadline. I don't know who you realistically bring in. It, it might just have to be a move of sending somebody out. And I mean, that's a little harsher than just scratching a veteran like we talked about is just actually trading somebody away. But maybe that's the level of motivation you need. And like as a coach, you're thinking, OK, maybe I could scratch a guy, but I don't like the idea that that singles him out or anything you know, maybe it's better for it to be not the coach's call and be like, look, it's out of my hands. The GM decided mm -hmm. to trade you. I didn't, I didn't do this, but you guys all know you better step it up now. Right. And I'm, I think I'm with you too, just because of the stuff we talked about earlier. I, I really just don't think this has been a hack stall problem. Like he's, he's the, the strategies and stuff on the ice are there. Uh, it's been more of an execution problem. It's been more of an effort problem. And like I said, I don't, I don't blame coaches for that. Um, personally, that's not, that wouldn't be my philosophy if I was an organization. So I, I would lean towards looking at a trade, but I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't know where you'd even start real realistically looking at a trade. I guess it depends on if you're waiting until after the six games are up. And if you've dropped four or five of those six games and you are feeling like you're out of it, then I guess you could look at guys on expiring deals um, and, and see if teams interested in them as a rental for the rest of the year and see if that helps shake shake people up but i i mean i I, don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin speculating personally on this other than i'm with you i think long term ultimately certainly what they need is a more consistent goal scorer up front maybe you know what you do is you just try to find another another high energy guy rj like someone who would fit in with like that gourd line or like a like a brandon tanev those can be had right especially if they're mm -hmm. not someone that produces a lot but you know maybe there's somebody who has a sneaky 20 goal upside and they're maybe struggling in their current spot i'd have to do research to try to figure out who that would be specifically um but that's that's really the only thing that i could really think of unless you were to totally blow things up which i don't think the kraken want to do either right no you, you you can't do that at this point in the season especially when long term you're looking at next year as being the year you yeah. really contend you can't get rid of any of those pieces that you want to move forward to next year so you're just left with the guys on expiring deals i don't know maybe you can move one of them and then you know bank whatever draft compensation because it's probably futures that you're going to get back um unless you can find a, a you know a hockey trade that kind of works as a one-for-one -one player thing but that's difficult to do you could even just bank whatever compensation you get there and if they are able to turn it around you just kind of earmark, let's say, you know, just as an example, like you trade Alex Wenberg for a second round pick or something, you know, if you can get that for him, you bank that and be like, all right, we're taking that pick. And if we turn things around, we're going to trade it for some more help at the deadline in whatever area that we feel we need. Mm -hmm. um, you could do that as well. Exactly. No, I, I think that that would be a, a definite option that they could go in. Uh, it's 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 a direction that they have. And like I said, we're going to learn a lot about this team. 
uh, based on what they do over the next little bit of time. Maybe we're off. Maybe they're going to win. They go 4-1-1, one, and one, RJ, and they're just right back in the playoff conversation and everything's fine. Uh, I would certainly take that, right? That's, I still think, the most oh, yeah. preferred outcome of all of this. Uh, it's just it, that looks... Um, less likely after the the latest road trip that they had one thing that we haven't talked about here rj is as we talk about you know where where would you acquire a guy would it be on the back end would it be up front they've struggled scoring they've struggled on defense one thing to consider and we talked about this some last week rj but it's it was going around again yesterday on on Kraken twitter and that's the idea that you know maybe in some respects rj this team's just been unlucky maybe like there's there's an element of they've just been unlucky. Uh, they've been playing well. This is part of the reason why I don't necessarily think it's a hackstall problem. You look at their possession numbers, and they're they're one of the better teams in the league. We talked about this last week. They were top ten. I think they've slipped out of the top ten after this road trip. But still, that was that was very encouraging that you're in the top third of the league. It's just that when it comes to you know actually producing or the numbers that are actually being produced, the ones that count, the goals on the board, RJ. Um, it's a lot lower for the Kraken than what it should be based on everything. As of December 3rd, the Kraken are um, minus 6.6 in goals scored above expected, according to Fresh, which isn't great. Uh, that's six goals that could have been helpful over the course of this year. And then you look at goals saved above expected, and they're at minus 13.1. Uh, both of these put them solidly in the bottom 10. It puts them 28th in goals scored above expected in the league and 27th in goals saved above expected. That isn't, it doesn't tell the full story, RJ, right? Like we know the team is playing well offensively at times. They're able to generate high quality scoring chances when they attack the slot, when they attack net front. But we know that finishing has been a problem for them this season. And then on the flip side, just like what Jared McCann said, what we were all saying uh, on Discord or Twitter or in the post game, right? The goaltenders haven't been playing as bad as their numbers have indicated. Some of this is on the defense. Do you think some of this is just that they've also been unlucky, that other teams just tend to be finishing at a higher rate and that they just haven't been as lucky with bounces? You know, Bjorkstrand hit another post yesterday, right? Like, it's just been an issue for them. Do you think there's just an element of luck here and that at some point they will even out and get closer to, you know a zero number on both of those charts. Yeah. Well, when it comes to finishing, I think you can make that argument. Um, you know, the Kraken clearly have more scores and, and more goals on paper than they've managed to generate this season. And that stuff does, I think, tend to kind of regress to the mean. And, and I think it will over the long run. Um, but as you mentioned with those numbers, you know, minus six goals scored above expected. And, you know, that's, that's not good. And maybe that could turn around, but as we highlighted last week on the podcast, you know, minus 13, you know, goals a lot above expected. And I think that's really the number you got to zero in on. And I think that's the number that tells you that they're not just unlucky. Uh, and certainly when you combine that with the eye test and looking at how these goals are being scored against them, uh, mentioned this again last week, but like though on the high end, those stats tend to undercount uh, expected goals on the high end. Like mm -hmm. those, you know, chances that are just tap-ins, uh, like the ones we saw in that in that Montreal game. I'm going to go look and find the latest example of it, you know, on, on Money Puck. But you look at goals that, you know, just intuitively we know are near 100%. Um, you know, ones like that that Tanner Pearson goal where it's just an absolute slam dunk. Um, as I'm as I'm looking at it to see, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, you know, it gave it a 35.2% 
chance of scoring there for, for Montreal. And we know it's higher than that. That's just how these stats tend to work. But I think you're seeing a lot of these high danger ones, certainly at the end of this road trip that are just from turnovers where Philip Grubauer has absolutely no chance. It's a wide open net. Um, so I, I think that's the number that really shows that they're not just unlucky, at least in that regard. And that even if you do start to get the finishing, you can make all the changes you want as far as generating offense and even have that pay off. But if the defensive focus and effort issues aren't resolved, like none of that matters because at the end of the day, you're handing your opponent's goals and that's just not bad luck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could go back to the Ottawa game, right? And the whole like Joey Decord playing the puck behind the net. Is he leaving it? Is he going to pass it out? Is he going to, what's he going to do with it? And him and uh, I believe that was Will Borgen, right? And they both just kind of froze. And the next thing you know, that that's a turnover that, that leads to an opportunity going the other way. That's again, a pretty good opportunity. Um, there's, there's just a lot going on defensively. I still think you know, that's that's the biggest point of emphasis. We're talking about, you know, what should Coach Hackstall use tomorrow's practice as? Like I said, I think that's what you got to focus on the most. And unfortunately, it's those are those are mistakes that you just shouldn't be making at the NHL level, right? You talked about it. A lot of that stuff that guys are coached about for years, like you, that's that's not what an when you get to the NHL, what an NHL coach thinks they need to be working on with you, right? Like that's this. This isn't finishing school, right? The NHL, right? <laughs> like it's it's the highest level of hockey. You need to be prepared. What what coaches, um, you know, what Jay Leach wants to be working on with these guys is is stuff like concepts and passing. You know, reading passing lanes, creating new schemes for the PK and stuff like that. He doesn't want to have to be like, okay, now everybody remember you gotta you gotta take the stick if you're battling net front because that's that's what they can use to score right like that's you know he doesn't want to sound like us coaching squirts again is I guess what yep. I'm getting at <laughs> no you talk that way to NHL players like yeah I know coach come on yeah but but you gotta you gotta do it in games right it's it's one thing to know it's another thing to, to go out there and, and perform like that um we got a little bit of time here left RJ about eight minutes one is there any other questions you have? Or, or anything else that you want to talk about with the Kraken, with all the stuff that we have been talking about, the, the more difficult to talk about stuff before maybe we try to end this on a little bit of a positive. Yeah, I mean, well, I think one thing in the potential solution category that was brought up a few times in post game that I, I know a lot of people are curious about uh, is Coachella Valley. Like, yeah. you know, is a solution or you know, maybe not the solution, but is something that could help uh, in Coachella Valley right now, whether that be, you know, a Shane Wright, Ryan Winterson, Riker Evans, uh, you know, for even a, a John Hayden, Cole Lynn, a lot of names are getting thrown out there. Kale Flurry even uh, was proposed to us last night. Like, is there anybody in Coachella Valley? Because look, we already have like Marion Sudanich, Max McCormick up on the NHL roster. Mm -hmm. Like this is not a situation where you're, you're kicking like a Brandon Tanev out of a roster spot or anything like that. You know, is there anybody currently playing for the Firebirds that you would like to see called up that you think could help solve some of their issues right now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough one because I still believe right now the best player on Coachella Valley, realistically, like the, the, the best player to help fix all of these problems would be Shane Wright. But 
I, I still don't want to insert him into this, right? I don't want to insert him into a lineup where there's all these questions swirling around about effort issues, uh, where you have pre you know post-game pressers, just to keep going back to Jared McCann, but where you have a, press a presser like that, where he's saying, yeah, after the first intermission, we just had to be like, yeah, we're not doing it, and we had to get up and, and talk about that stuff. Like, on the one hand, it's a great display of leadership for a young player to maybe pick up on. I'm sure Maddie Beniers is, is learning to recognize those things and, and learning what it then takes to step up and how to motivate guys to get out of it. So it's a good learning opportunity in that regard. But also, you, I don't think you want the guy to, that's going to be up there, uh, somebody who, you know, the idea of confidence has always been a question for him, right? If we're just being realistic, whether it's valid, a valid question or not has been debatable, but it has been a question that's that's been around him uh, going back to pre-draft. And I don't think you want him around this this roster right now while they're going through what they're going through, while the questions are being asked that are being asked of them, while the, the team result is what it has been. So I think Shane Wright would be the guy Otherwise, I mean, they did it, right? Max McCormick was their leading scorer. He was he was the leader in goals. Shane Wright's now tied him. He was their leader in points. He was their leader on the ice, RJ, right? Max McCormick was the guy to call up. He was the obvious one um, for me. And I do think that it's interesting that they didn't go to him right away. And this is something I asked you about. And, and um, it's just... I wonder if they were worried about potentially having to lose him on waivers or something if if they if they had called him up sooner as just an injury fill in um, versus them maybe now feeling a little bit more not desperate, but a, a little bit more urgent about things. So you don't worry so much about if you're going to lose somebody on waivers because you just kind of need to right the ship. Yeah, no, I, I think that's got to be maybe less of a concern now, you know, with waivers as, as far as you just need things to kind of help you write the ship. I think that's, you know, that's that's probably part of it. But um, yeah, I, I just I think I agree with you. Shane Wright is the only guy who I think can make a noticeable difference on this team. And I don't want to expose him to this. He's doing so well in Coachella Valley, too. Even if the situation wasn't as dire in Seattle, I still feel like you don't want to mess with it. I mean, oh. he's gaining so much confidence, developing so well in Coachella Valley. I, no, I, I don't know. I, I feel like even if it turned things around a bit this season and it kind of got you at least somewhat in a playoff push by having him there on the fourth line, it's probably not worth the long-term development hit for Shane Wright. I mean, he, what he does next season and beyond is way more important to you as a franchise than whatever he can do for this team this season. Yeah, I agree with that. As he's sitting with 14 points in 15 games, eight goals in those 15 games too. I mean, just he's been performing at such a high level down there. Uh, I know Kale Fleury was, has been brought up as a potential option on the back end. Riker Evans has been brought up. You still got Jacob Magna you could put in at any time, right? I feel like that would be the you solution gotta go first, before yeah. you would go to either of those two players. And then just because I... I'm sure this conversation will probably bring it up. I'm sure a lot of the conversations have just because we've seen it, RJ. Going back to them, not re-signing Donato, not you know keeping Geeky, not keeping Daniel Sprong. Um, talked about it a little bit last week. I will still hold to when you're going through a situation like this, the fourth line should not be the thing that's keeping your team afloat. It should not be the thing that's that's having you, you know, the thing you're depending on to kind of be be the deciding factor like it's a nice thing if it can happen but i think given the problems the kraken have right now on the back end given the problems they have finishing 
it's on your top six. It's on those guys that you are paying. It's on those guys who have historically performed at a much higher level than they're performing at right now, just from a pure production standpoint, right? It's on those guys to, to be the leaders and, and to be the guys that go out there and, and try to right the ship and be the guys that you should be depending on. Your fourth line is, is your fourth line for a reason, right? They get sub sub 10 minutes a night for a reason. That's They're not the guys that you should be counting on to go out there and, and win stuff for you. So I know it was painful to watch all those great players and people leave the Kraken organization. And I know that, yes, they would be helping the situation right now. But long term, it's still this, this was the right call for the Kraken to make. They just need the guys higher up in the lineup to step up. Yeah, as great as last season was with the fourth line, it's just not sustainable. And also, if you wanted to bring him back, you would have had to pay him a lot more. A lot. I know it's not like, you know, the the fun conversation to have. But from a cap management perspective, you're talking about really having to make sacrifices elsewhere in the lineup if you do sign all those guys to what other teams paid them. At that point, they're no longer your fourth line. You're paying yeah. them like a third line. And yeah. so, you know, they have to, you know, play accordingly, essentially. So, you know, you have to make sacrifices elsewhere in the lineup. Maybe you have to then trade a Will Borgen away or, you know, sacrifice somewhere on the blue line or, or you know, have maybe Megna play regular minutes this season. You know, whatever the sacrifice may be, you know, there's always trade-offs in a cap league. So I, I'm with you. I don't think it, it made sense. I mean, one last thing I want to talk about, because I thought about it a lot last night after post-game where people are asking, like, would you switch the D pairs around uh -huh. and, and what would you want to see in yeah. that regard? If Hackstall does go that way, cause I think that's probably the, the next button you can press, right? Mm -hmm. That you're not scratching a veteran or making any big waves there. You're just making a change in the D pairs, leave it as the same six. If you want, you know, same six in the lineup, don't put Magna in even, but have you, after we've thought about it maybe for a night, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Cause the more I think about it, I, I, saw a configuration that like maybe i might go with okay go good tell me all right so i was thinking and, and you have to make sure like the usage is you know it is uh-huh like because you're back at home right you can get the matchups you want and that's yes. something on the road i would not want to go with these d pairs because i think other teams could exploit the hell out of this Okay. But you go Alexiak Larson as your top D pair uh -huh. and have that just be a shutdown pair. I'm talking yep. like 23, 24 minutes a night, yep. right? Those two are, are going to be real solid for you. Your second pair, Dunn Borgen. I know someone brought it up in the post game. The more I think about it, if you deploy them in the right way, I mm -hmm. think it could actually work. Give them a ton of offensive zone starts. If the other team's putting out their top line, just put Alexiak Larson back out there. Don't bother with the Dunn-Borgen pair, but just try and give them the most like offensive-friendly deployment you possibly can. And this is something you'd only get away with at home, but I think it just might work. And then as for the third pair, you can go, I mean, Dumoulin Schultz has been what it's been, but you could go Magna Schultz if you want to. You could go like Dumoulin Magna if you want to try something like that, have Magna playing on the right side. But th that's the change I would make in the top 4D just to try it out. Like if if you blow the first game of this homestand, if you lose big to the Devils, everything looks bad defensively again, why not try that? Yeah. What do you think? Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. I, I particularly like it because, yes, initially when it was brought up last night, I was very much like, like yes, you'd have one really solid defensive unit. And, and look, Alexiak and Larson can move the puck too, right? Like they can they can get things going in the offensive zone as well. So that, 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 line, that pairing sounds fine. It's the other one because, you know, we've seen 
both Borgen and Vince Dunn struggle in the defensive zone a lot. But I'm with you. If you can if you can really aggressively manage where they're going to be starting, and I'm kind of right now just going through and I'm bouncing around all the defensemen looking at their um at where they've been starting, RJ, where where Hackstall's been sticking them out there on the ice. And it's it's kind of interesting um because that that Dunn Larson pairing has been fairly sheltered uh, uh quite a bit actually mm-hmm. and the Alexiak Borgen one has not but the Alexiak but they're both fairly equal as far as Corsi goes despite the fact that yeah. you're looking at dramatic shifts I mean we're we're um where where did they go here Jamie Alexiak started in the offensive zone 35.8% of time Vince Dunn 62.3 I mean, you're getting close to like you know doubling uh, the amount of offensive zone starts for Vince Dunn from from Jamie Alexiak, and then you and yet you look at their course their Corsi four percentage RJ and um, Jamie Alexiak is less than four points behind Vince John Vince Dunn. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's fairly impressive actually what this Alexiak Borgen line has been able to do. Um, so yeah, I think I think you could go ahead and give that a shot. And yes, there might be some nights where you need to ride the the Larson Alexiak pairing a lot. And let them get up there towards the 28-minute mark if you need to, right? You're sitting on a lead, something like that. They're they're big guys. I don't mean physically. They they're, can do they're it. They're that kind of guys. They're, they're they can courses, do it. Yeah. They totally can. Uh, and, and then you can kind of free up Will Borgen and Vince Dunn to try to get things going. And you know what? It might help wake up the offense a little bit too, having those guys out there together. Yeah, and you know what? On the Dunn-Borgen pair, I actually just looked this up. I was kind of surprised to see it. But if you look at the Kraken's D pairs so far this season on Money Puck, you know you sort by expected goals percentage. And uh, Dunn-Borgen, in albeit limited time, only 20 minutes together, 60% expected goal share. That's second best on the Kraken. Yeah. And you go last season uh, in about 30 minutes together, which again, not very much, but 70% expected goal share with Dunn-Borgen last season. Yeah. And you go back to year one, uh, 52.9% expected goal share in about six in about 56 minutes together. Like they've actually, you know, never looked bad together as a pair, you know, on a season wide sample size. So I, I know it's very limited minutes. Like I know combined, mm-hmm. this is less than what the usual D pairs get, but like a- at least in the small sample size, it's looked good surprisingly. So, you know what, that's, I'm all in. Go with that. I'm. I, you've convinced me. You've more than convinced me. I'm all for it. I say give it a go. Um, yeah. I. Uh, why not? Let's let's see it. Um, there's. Uh, yeah. I was just gonna end things on the positive note a little bit, RJ. Right. Like that. You know. Look, we've seen this team put together when when they are on and when they are playing well like we talked about earlier they look like a very very good team or at least a team that is that is definitely better than the bottom teams in this league right and but we've seen them beat a Vancouver in Vancouver we've seen them beat some good teams so far this season so i was just going to say look it's still the Kraken are still in and around the spot right if they are around 20% chance of making the playoffs this is your opportunity. You go out and you win three or four of these next six games. You're really very much back in that conversation. And and this team is a good team. They have depth. They've got all the pieces on paper. Like I said, I, I like what Hackstall's done, at least in the offensive zone, what, what sort of systems they're running there. Defensively, things are a mess, but I don't know how much of that's really coaching. Um, and the goaltenders have been good, right? Philip Grubauer is keeping them in games. Joey Decord's keeping them in games. If the offense just kind of wakes up a little bit and is able to score some more goals, so um, there are still there is still reasons to be positive. It's just 
it might be too late depending on how this next bit goes which brings me back around to what i said at the beginning which is you know what this is the most important moment of the kraken season and it will probably stay that way rj and so if you're if you are a kraken fan now is the number one time i feel like to really be paying attention send as much positive vibes and all that kind of stuff as you can their way because um they need it and and in a lot of ways the season comes down to this yeah, season's on the line right now. It's gut check time, and you know what? They're at home, and uh, you know, as a fan, if you're here in Seattle, you can go support them, uh, and uh, you know, cheer for them as hard as you can because the boys need it right now. Uh huh. And maybe do it at the Queen Anne Beer Hall, RJ. Yes, absolutely. Hey, you you know they hear that. You know they know about the beer hall. I mean, Philip Grubauer was there before the start of the season. They showed it on the broadcast during the playoffs. I mean, is it is the place to be if you're not at Climate Pledge Arena. Go to Queen Anne Beer Hall. It's an awesome time. We'll see that goal light go off more than it has earlier this season. This is when it gets turned around. Definitely. I know that I know the games can be expensive to go to, right? Definitely would never fault oh, yeah. somebody for not, you know, not going and for that those reasons. Uh beer hall, though, you you can go to the beer hall. Uh it's close by, you still get that atmosphere, all the awesome Kraken fans there, the goal light, like you said, the horn, all that kind of good stuff. Really great stuff. Really appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. As always, really thank uh, all of you for listening and engaging with us as much as you all do. It really is what allows us to keep doing all of this. Uh, so appreciate you all as well, and we will see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Alvi, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Shazzle Dazzle, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Ethan, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Julia, Justin, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Levin, Light, Lonnie, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Michigan Kraken, Nick, Nightdrop, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Randall, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean, Sean, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team 114 Chris, Ty, Wendy, Where the Slovakians At, Strife, and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.